from the Credit Union National Association. This is the CUNA News Podcast. Credit Union people. Credit Union ideas. In the past several decades, mergers have reshaped the competitive and cultural balance of the credit union system. Small asset-sized credit unions have become increasingly endangered as technological advances and marketplace growth have made scale increasingly more important in reaching consumers and achieving financial viability. I'm Ron Jose, a senior editor with CUNA News. In this episode of the CUNA News podcast, Nick Mowally, President CEO of America's First Network Credit Union, East Hartford, Connecticut, breaks down his unique model for preserving the integrity of small credit unions while providing them with the technology and back office support they need to survive in today's marketplace. Under the network model, Emerging Credit Union becomes a division of America's first network credit union, preserving its brand identity while its back-end operations, such as compliance, card operations, and card processing, are integrated with America's first network credit union. As Nick describes in this interview, this isn't the most cost-efficient or easiest way to execute a merger, but even in the short term, it's well worth it. Members maintain their affiliation with a financial institution they are familiar and comfortable with, and they gain more services in the process. Employees can preserve the unique culture that every individual credit union possesses, and most importantly, it maintains the integrity and survival of the small credit union. Nick, tell us how you got started with your credit union career. So, yeah, interestingly, uh, it's probably like most people didn't go to school thinking I'm going to go work at a credit union. <laughs> Typically, it doesn't go that way, right? And when I came out of school, I actually was kind of focused on working in the sports industry, sports finance, and worked there briefly for a little less than a year and then saw an opportunity with the Credit Union League of Connecticut. So there was an opening there um, in the government relations area and ended up getting that opportunity, getting hired there and working for the trade association for 14 years in total. Started in the government relations after about two years of that, transitioned into consulting and services, and then ultimately becoming the, the vice president there, kind of overseeing both uh, compliance and the LSC, so the uh, LSC arm of the league of the trade association. So was there for just under 14 years and then had this opportunity here to come to America's first network credit union and, and run that starting at the uh, in October of 2017. So what kept you involved with credit unions? What about the movement captured you? Working with smaller businesses and in, in the credit union space, whether, you know, when I was at the trade association, what was so great, so unique was I worked with credit unions that were 100,000 in assets that were open uh, one day a week in the uh, basement of a church, all the way up to our largest credit unions here in Connecticut, which were $1.5 billion in you know a few hundred employees on a lot of different types of projects. And obviously, the needs of the credit unions were, were so different based on the size and the complexity. And it really was just, uh, it really captured me. I mean, obviously, the good work that credit unions do for the members, but what was the most attractive for me was really working with a small business and watching small businesses succeed both in the community or obviously affiliated say groups for some, but really the business end of watching that. You have a very unique business model at America's First Network Credit Union. Can you unpack that for us and tell us about it? 
so interestingly, with my time at the league, I did a lot of strategic planning. And um, one of the trends, unfortunately, for the industry, um, obviously, membership growth has been so great overall for the industry. But the one, the consolidation is obviously a result of a lot of things that have gone on either regulatorily or compliance. And when I was at the league doing a lot of these strategic plans, I've worked with a lot of these smaller credit unions, say 15, 20, 50 million in assets. And we kept getting coming around all the time to, man, we do such good work. We do so much to help the members. You know, the members love us. We've been here forever. We're a staple in their community or the staple to the company that we serve, but we just can't make it anymore. And this credit union started of identifying this America's first as, you know, at the time they were dedicated to just Unilever Corporation. So the, the name of the credit union originally was Cheeseboro Ponds Credit Union, which then became Unilever when Unilever purchased Cheeseboro Ponds here in Connecticut back in the early, I want to say 1990s. And then when we started identifying this, we said, man, there's so many credit unions. I was working with this credit union on the, during a planning session. The board saying there's so many credit unions like us across Connecticut, and for that matter, really across the country. And what if we kind of took a look at trying to do kind of a hybrid type merger model where we keep getting the, these smaller credit unions keep going away and they're so upset about it and their members are so upset about it, but it's just the reality of doing business right now. You need certain scale, whether it's from the earnings side, like I said, or just from personnel to deal with you know compliance issues to IT issues, et cetera. If we kind of merged all the back end office things that occur that we can get scale on, let's say insurance, card programs, core processor, the things that members don't really aren't as member facing type things, but kept the locations and the personnel and the names and branding of the smaller credit union. Remember, there'll be some changes. Yes, they're going to get a new card in the mail, but it's still going to be branded in a way that they relate to, to their SAG or to their credit union. So that's kind of how it took off. And that was a discussion that took place between 2015 and 2016. And then um, we moved forward from that point and actually said, let's see if we can actually apply. It's basically just a multi-seg charter, but see if the regulators will allow us to use various names, if it's all under the umbrella, almost in the for-profit world would be like a holding company or, or something of that nature. And we did approach the state of Connecticut Department of Banking and uh, gave them the business plan of what we were trying to accomplish. And they were very supportive of the idea and said, yes, I mean, our examiners are out there and see and this, this may be a great idea that you have that you can actually take into action. And at the end of 2016, approved the charter change. We actually went from a federal to a state charter as part of the process as well. And we're approved to create this, what we call network charter is what it's classified as. It's a multi-seg charter, but allows us to keep the branding and name, as long as we're not using federal in it, of any credit union we take in or becomes partners with our network, whether they're state or federally chartered. Wow. I mean, that is a wonderful model. And I guess the benefits are somewhat obvious, but do you want to kind of list them for us? Like, what are the long-term benefits of this model for everyone involved? We've tried to take this model and really turn it to be, and I'm sure a lot of credit unions would use this in what their business plans are, but to be as member focused as possible. I constantly get the question, why are you doing this? Like this has to be a nightmare. And I say that not from members, but I get this from coworkers or from people in the industry or my counterparts at other credit unions going, I would never want to be to be dealing with this. And I said, it is a lot of work and it's not the cheapest model. 
You know, it's not the most efficient from if you took an operating expense ratio because you're creating so much more branding because you need to have bifurcation of us being able to identify what member is attached to what, you know, because all our core is merged. So what member is, you know, with this division or that division, um, there's an extra expense from our core and from our IT processing that we take on. But really it was, we want the member to be least impacted in the negatives that we've seen with mergers, which is we've lost our identity. Our branch is no longer there because there's a branch two miles away. Half our personnel has been unfortunately laid off. And we wanted to eliminate that part of it so members were not impacted, but try to impact them in the positive ways of bringing on a smaller credit unit that didn't have mobile banking or being able to offer some type of product service that they were not able to get because of the size. They just could not afford to offer their members prior. And you touched on this a little bit already, but what are the challenges that you've had to overcome? I would say the two biggest challenges, one of them I anticipated with part of this model, and that has been partner companies and vendors we work with are extremely confused by what we're doing many times. So (laughs) the members seem to be fine. The boards seem to understand it. But when you talk with any vendor company, they're very confused as to exactly why is there different names and why are there different accounts here and that part of it. So trying to educate and being able to have vendors understand that we're all one entity and communicate that to them and effectively is definitely been probably the biggest challenge. The other challenge, which I didn't anticipate as much, was really, you know, having to really take in not just the name and branding, but understanding the different cultures at each credit union and how things have operated. Because while, like I said, some of the systems are going to change and probably the biggest thing I've had to adjust to is just basically the onboarding process and being able to have employees understand what we're doing and why we're doing it. And just getting the buy-in from the entire organization, not necessarily just, say, the board of directors at a particular credit union. Is there room for this model to grow? Can more credit unions join the network? Absolutely. You know, for many years, I can remember, you know, the merger word was was considered a bad word. <laughs> that is what we're about. I mean, we look for credit unions to partner with us on what we're calling a hybrid merger model. And it, it can grow to, hopefully, it's going to continue to grow for the next 50 years. We've had five credit unions join the model that have come on this way. So we have three separate divisions. So we've had three that have decided to keep their naming, their branding, et cetera. And we've also had two additional ones that have come on and just said they just liked the idea, the concept, and they just they were okay with just kind of going into one of the other divisions that they did not want to necessarily stay completely themselves. And that was up to them. But our goal is to continue to talk to credit unions, usually smaller that are seg-based, whether it be primary seg or multi-seg. The only restriction we had, there's no geographic restriction. So this could be done, and especially with technology now, you know, we have a branch that's in Jonesboro, Arkansas, and we could have a division that was in any state that wanted to be if there was a credit union interested and wanted to talk with us. The only restriction we have by our charter and field of membership is no community charter credit union can be part of this. So if they are strictly community charter based and not a SAG, multi-SAG type charter, and they are just open to the county or multiple counties, that is the only group that we're not able to bring in under this model. So as far as other characteristics like member demographics, that kind of thing, what type of credit union do you think fits this unique model best? 
It's typically uh, the ones it's worked the best with are kind of the the smaller number of SAGs. A lot of our products and services are customized a lot to police, fire, and town workers. We've taken in a lot of municipal-based credit unions, and it's always been extremely well-received in that nature. It could be, like I said, anything from if it's a tied to a certain company, a manufacturing company fits in very well to this model. Postal credit unions, obviously, they've had some challenges, obviously, with membership growth and so forth. And then we've spoken to a few of them. Also in the healthcare industry, too, you know, a lot of credit unions that have been located, say, in hospitals and have lost their space recently and have had challenges around that. You know, we've, we've spoken to credit unions of that membership as well. You talked a little bit about the M word, merger, and a lot of that has to do with just the way it affects members and the way members feel about it. So, have credit union members responded positively after their credit union has become part of America's first network credit union? In our view, yes. I mean, obviously, in reality, ten uh, percent of any group, the way we looked at it, is always no matter what the change is going to be, they just are not happy about change, right? So, what we've seen from almost all of them, or at least four of the five of them that we've done, is we've had the initial. It's been very well received. Maybe we've had ten percent of members elect not to move forward and close accounts uh, upon that, just for whatever the changes is. They don't like the way the mailing's gone out, or they used to get a payment coupon on a Thursday, and now it comes out on the 15th of every month, whatever. These small changes, some things that we can't control from the back end. So we'll see that slight drop off. And then from that point forward, we've seen growth in each of these divisions because our marketing budget's pretty small. Our reasoning is think has been word of mouth amongst the, the seg groups. I mean, these people still work together. And so an example I'd use is in, it was in the fall of 2020, we took in a group, uh, Connecticut Transit Department, which is uh, the the transportation department here uh, in Hartford, Connecticut. And we saw probably, I want to say we had about 20% membership growth about three months after them joining on and merging into our network and participating. So we still have the office right there located right in the transit department, and we were able to offer a lot more services a lot more lending products. You know, that's probably the best example I could use of just an overflow of support from somebody post-merger or, you know, a group post-merger. So these credit unions aren't just surviving, you're enabling growth. That's the plan, you know, and then that's exactly the way we go in when we talk to a credit union that's interested. I tell them, I say, this is not going to be the easiest. So I understand if the board is coming, there's various reasons, of course, people start evaluating a merger as an option with their credit union. And I always kind of allude to, listen, if you're looking to just say, you know, uh, six months from now, I, we just want everything to be taken care of and handled and, and we want to completely step away and, and our staff doesn't, you know, we don't, we're not going to have our location anymore. And that's the way it's going to be. We're not the best partner for those types of, of organizations that are looking to go to that direction. There's a lot of work that goes in, but what I've found is the majority of boards are like, we want to stay involved. You know, we want to still be on an advisory board that can talk about at least even this division, even if it's not an overall network decision. Our members, you know, we still have members in this police station, in the transit department, in this town hall, and we want them as involved as possible and and still have a voice. So what are your long-term goals for America's first network credit union? Our plan is, you know, we started this process back in the end of 2016. We were about 17 million in assets. As of today, we are approaching, we're just under 60 million. So we're, we're hovering right around the 60 million mark. Um, and our goal was by uh, 2021 was to reach around 50 million, which we've crossed. 
and that by 2025, we'd be at about 100 million. That can vary based on some of the credit, you know, how many of these credit unions join and what their sizes are along with our organic growth. But the 2025 goal is to be like 100 million. And eventually, hopefully I'm here for the rest of my career. And 30 years from now, we're hoping that, you know, we're a billion in assets and we're across multiple states. Right now, we serve uh, approximately 77 different individual seg groups that we have 2,000 different SEGs or 5,000 different SEGs, whatever that comes up to, and and that there's locations in all of these areas that are able to service these members and and also still being able to add a lot of additional new products, electronic services, et cetera, so that our whole thing is we want to be able to be member-facing in multiple ways. Not I know a lot of financial institutions have started going down the road of all remote, and I know the technology is there for that. We still do value the relationship of just the member being able to come in and, and talk to our employees or the employees at their prior credit unions that are employees of ours now of our network and staying involved with our members' lives and, and helping their financial futures. Thanks for listening to the CUNA News Podcast. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher Radio. 